Father. Father, thank you for Bill and Janie and the friends they've been to Jan and me for so many years and for the privilege you've given us of worshiping with Bill and singing hallelujah to you. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of all that is. It's still such a mystery to us how you could become one of us so we could be one with you, how you would choose to send your son to be a helpless baby, the one who created the universe so that you could create new life in us. But we celebrate that fact. And today I pray that you'll help us to experience the love of that grace wherever we need that love most in our hearts, our minds, our families, our lives. Pray that for me and us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin with some Christmas trivia. All right? Isn't that exciting? There is the Griswolds Christmas home in Christmas vacation. How many lights on the Griswold home? 25,000. I feel better about the lights at my house now. Janet, I will never again complain about putting lights out at our house. 25,000 lights on the Griswold home. But Christmas Vacation was not the highest growing, grossing Christmas movie of all time. Which one was? Home Alone. I didn't know that. Very good. Thank you, Trisha. She can't play anymore. She, get, she got that right. Very good. Well, I certainly didn't know this. True or false? Jingle Bells was originally written for Thanksgiving. True. I can't explain that, but I read it on the internet, so it must be true, right? Exactly so. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, you can't believe half of what's on the internet, right? I read that on the internet, so must be true. How many gifts would one have to give if one gave every gift required by the 12 days of Christmas? 364. I like that song even less now. I didn't love it before, nonetheless. All right, so what are you supposed to put out for Santa when he comes at Christmas? Well, milk and cookies, right? Unless you're in Sweden, in which case you leave out coffee. Now, I'm guessing Santa Claus is in the room, would rather be in Sweden when Christmas Eve comes, right? Be my thought. How much do retailers need to make every year at Christmas in order for it to meet their budgeted expectations? $600 billion. That's why they started advertising on July the 5th for Christmas, right? And I didn't know this, although I guess I should have. Who strung the first string of Christmas lights? The answer is Thomas Edison. So, there you go. Four wise men. Four, John. Okay, so I know three. Yes? <laughs> That's where it came from. One guy brought a fruitcake and they sent him back home. And that fruitcake is still getting passed around today. That fruitcake, it's where it started. Fruitcakes are like exercise bikes. There's only five of them. They just go from garage sale to garage sale to house to house. And so I knew it was somebody's fault, and now we know why. Yeah. yeah and we're so glad they sent him back, right? You know? But they came to my house. Well, anyway, fruitcakes. Well, didn't prove not everything in life has a purpose. But that's all right, right? So, all right. So one other less trivial Christmas question. Why? 
did Jesus come at Christmas? We know he did, obviously. But why? Why did he have to do it that way? Of all the ways he could have done it, why not appear at 33 years of age? Why not appear at 30 when he started his ministry? Why not his first appearance on earth be when he was baptized by John the Baptist? Why that? That, by the way, is the place inside the cave, the grotto at the church of the Incarnation in Bethlehem, where at least it marks the place of Jesus' actual birth. We know he was born in that cave system someplace. Don't know the actual spot. That's just chosen as a spot to remember. The actual birth of Jesus someplace, within a few feet probably of that. But why like that? A few facts about Christmas. 91% of Americans say they will celebrate Christmas this year, fruitcakes or not, 91%. 72% say Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. 72% of Americans. However, only 41% of Americans say Jesus existed before Christmas. Nearly 6 in 10 do not believe Jesus existed before Christmas. In other words, he was born at Christmas the same way Muhammad was born in Mecca or Buddha was born or any other religious leader was born, which explains why 60% of American young adults say Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, so long as you're sincere and tolerant, including 61% of evangelical young adults, so-called. So we know that Jesus was the reason for the season. Well, we're not clear on why, what the reason is that Jesus is the reason for the season. All right? So we're doing the Advent weeks uh, as they're often done, the first week being the week of faith, then last week the week of hope, this week the week of love. What does Jesus' birth at Christmas teach us about the love of God? As we look at the text today, the last of the I Ams of Christ in the Gospel of John, let me ask you why you need to experience that love personally on an intimate level today. Not a rhetorical question. Why do you need to experience more of God's love? What is it in your life where you need more of God's healing love, His encouraging love, His forgiving love, His leading love, His transforming love? Why could you use more of God's love today? So we've looked at the six I am's of Jesus. Here's the seventh. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Another of these metaphors Jesus uses all through the Gospel of John. But once again, understanding the background, the culture, the history helps the metaphors come to life in a way that doesn't really happen otherwise. Jesus doesn't have to explain this because they understood then, 20 centuries ago, what I'm about to explain. All right, so this is John 15. This is Monday, Thursday. This is the night. Jesus has just had the Last Supper, what we think of as the Lord's Supper. He's washed the feet of his disciples. Now they've left the upper room. They're on their way over to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. They have to pass right by the temple. Many scholars believe they stopped at the temple when Jesus spoke these words, and here is why. Here's what the temple looked like in Jesus' day. That's a recreation of what we call Herod's temple, the temple of Jesus' day. And on the doorway, as you can see, if I can get this to work right there, see if I can make this pointer work. Well, I'm sorry. Sweep right. Ah, there it is. Magically it appears. Mike, that's incredible. So right there, see that doorway? Those are vines. Here's a close-up. Kind of a blurry close-up, 
but vines. The vine was the national symbol of Israel, like the eagle is for America or the bear is for Russia. Josephus, first century Jewish historian, wrote this, the temple had doors also at the entrance and lintels over them of the same height with the temple itself. They were adorned with embroidered veils with their flowers of purple and pillars interwoven, and over these but under the crown work was spread out a golden vine with its branches hanging down from a great height, the largeness and fine workmanship of which was a surprising sight to the spectators, to see what vast materials there were and with what great skill the workmanship was done. Most scholars believe, and I would agree, that Jesus was pointing at that, at that massive vine that was embroidered in gold, as it were, that was sculpted in gold around the entrance to the temple. He's pointing at that when he says, I am the true vine. All through the Bible, Israel is likened to a vine. Isaiah 5, 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. However, all through the Old Testament, it's made clear that Israel is a corrupted vine, that it's a decaying vine. Psalm 80, 16, your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. This is from Jeremiah 2. I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Israel has become a wild vine. By contrast, Jesus says, I am the true vine. See the context? It's emphatic in the Greek. Jesus says, I, ego I me, I alone am. Am, present tense, not was, not could be, not will be. I am the, definite article, as with all the I am's, I am the true. The Greek word for true means the right one. Pointing at that vine symbol of corrupt Israel. Jesus says, unlike that, I am the true vine. I am the true path to life. I am the true means of life. And my father is the vine dresser or the husbandman. So if you want life, don't be connected to that. Be connected to this. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to know the love of God in your life, don't be connected to the fallen religiosity of the corruption of the culture. Be connected to me because I'm the true vine. I'm the path to true love. And my Father, the God who is love, is that vine dresser. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do religion. Do relationship. Don't think just by coming to chapel on Sunday, you have all of God there is. Don't think just by being religious occasionally you've experienced all the love of God you could experience. Be connected to me, Jesus says. Not everybody get, got the memo. Not everybody does that, even in this world of religion. All right? Here's a quick example. That's the Shantung province, as it used to be on the uh, eastern coast of China, back in the 1930s. A massive revival broke out there. It's called the Shantung Revival, one of the great spiritual movements of the 20th century. A missionary named C.O. Culpepper wrote about it, the Shantung Revival. And in it, he explained how it started, as they always do with desperation. Started with spiritual impoverishment and people realizing that and repenting and needing how much they needed more of God than they had. There was a well-known evangelist at that point in the 1930s in China who said it this way. He said of all the churches they had founded, of all the members they had, all of that, their fear was, he said it like this, church members had been converted to Christianity, not to Christ. That can still happen. 
converted to Christianity, not to Christ. To the corrupted vine of religion, not the true vine of Jesus. So how do we experience the love of God in the true vine of Jesus? Well, Jesus continues. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he, the father, the vine dresser, prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, again, they understood the context and the culture in a way that isn't as apparent to us, but I'll show it to you very briefly. This is what a vine looks like in Israel, even today. If you've been with me or somebody else in Israel, you've traveled through the Galilee, you've seen how incredibly fertile that part of the world is, how verdant it is, and they still grow. Uh, grape, vines, olive, uh, trees, it's an incredibly fertile part of the world. Feeds a whole, whole nation and a whole lot beyond that. Well, in that part of the world, because the ground is so fertile and there's so much rain and so much sunshine and it grows so well, they have to plant these vines 12 feet apart because the arms grow to each other so rapidly, as you see there. The vines, when they plant them, and they begin to grow up, and they begin to prune them, that sort of thing, the reason they do is that they produce two kinds of branches, one that produces grapes and one that doesn't. You don't know at the time before they start producing which will be which, because they look the same. In appearance, they're just the same. They're measured not by what they look like, but by what they produce, what they actually do. And when the vine dresser sees that a branch is not producing grapes, he'll cut it off because it's stealing sap for those branches that will produce grapes. He cuts off the branches that don't produce for the sake of those that do produce, and this is what they turn out like. By pruning in that way, by pruning away what doesn't bear fruit for the sake of that which does. He will then prune the branches that do bear fruit for three years. He won't let them continue the fruit-bearing process for three cycles, because in the fourth year, this is what happens as a result of the pruning of the branches. That's what Jesus has in mind when He's speaking this way. When He says, every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, and the branches that don't, He cuts off and takes away. Jesus says to His disciples, already you're clean because of the word I've spoken. And the word translated clean is the same Greek word as the word translated pruned. Already I've cut away the old man. Already you're in the vine now. You're connected to me. You're my disciples. You're my followers. I've cut away the person you were before me, before your salvation, we might say, before you came to know me. Personally, I've I've gotten rid of that. I've done that. Now you have a decision to make. Abide in me as I abide in you. As the branch can't can't bear fruit by itself, lest it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is where the metaphor breaks down. You have free will that the branch doesn't. You can decide whether to stay connected to Jesus or not. You can decide whether to stay 24-7, 365, intimately, personally engaged with Jesus Himself. You can choose Christ or you can choose Christianity. You can choose the true vine or the corrupt vine. You have that choice. When Jesus says, abide in me, it's a present tense imperative, continually, constantly, without exception, without failure, every single day, stay connected to me, Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then look at this, apart from me, you can do nothing. If the branch isn't connected to the vine, what really can it do? How much fruit can a branch bear if it's separated from the vine. But Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can do something. 
He didn't say you can do a little bit. He didn't say you can have good days and bad days. If we're not connected to him, we can do nothing that's eternal and spiritual. We can bear no fruit for God. We can experience none of the truth of God's life-changing love if we don't stay connected to him. Now, the world may not see the difference. Here's a branch over here, and here's a branch over here, and this one was connected to the vine, and now it's separated, but it still looks just like the other, but given time, it will wither up and die. Given time. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. Just what happens to a branch. It doesn't stay connected to the vine. The branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. Can't do anything with these branches. These vine branches, if they don't bear fruit, they can't be used for building materials. They can't be used uh, to construct anything. Can't make anything out of them at all except to burn them in the fire. You can make firewood out of them. That's all they're good for. They're thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's the power of the intimacy of an abiding relationship with Jesus. And then our last verse. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So you and I have an opportunity today. We have an opportunity to abide in the vine, to stay connected to the vine. So how does that work? What does that mean? Well, Jesus made very clear what he meant when he talked about a personal intimate relationship with God in the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and then you can love your neighbor as yourself, right? The kind of love Jesus calls us to choose today is our response to his love for us. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did that at Christmas. And now if we choose to love the one who loves us, if we choose to stay connected to the one who came for us, then we will manifest his love to the world. Fruit of the Spirit, first one, is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And all of that is possible because of Christmas. So now we have a choice to make this Christmas season, what's left of it. We can choose Christianity or Christ. We can choose the corrupt vine of religion or the true vine of relationship. We can choose to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength every single day. So let me encourage you to start every day by giving Jesus what he wants for Christmas. It is, after all, his birthday, right? And that is you. I read this past week in an email that was sent out from the Paul Powell estate. Paul Powell was the pastor of First Baptist Tyler for many, many years, and now been with the Lord a number of years. But there are some people that have found excerpts of his various writings, and they send them out every day, and it's just terrific stuff. Paul was amazing. And uh, in an email just the other day that I saw, he quoted a little girl who was asked after Christmas if she got everything she wanted, and she said no, but it wasn't my birthday. Remember whose birthday it is. And what he really wants is you. Start the day by getting alone with him, by reading his word and praying and worshiping him and loving him. Walk through the day close to him. Pray to him. Honor him. Obey him. 
When you get away from him, repent and confess and get back close again. Stay close to him. The one who came so close for you. And if you'll do that, you'll experience the God who is love. And you'll experience that fruit of love. And the world will see that fruit of love. And your Christmas will be about Christ. If that'll be your choice. But it's your choice to abide in the vine or not. It's a daily choice. I'll close with this. It was an old proverb, parable, told by uh, Russian rabbis about a fellow who lived in the town of Krakow named Isaac, son of Yentl. Isaac, son of Yentl's home was very impoverished. They struggled to make ends meet, struggled day by day, hand to mouth, difficult life. And then one night, Isaac, son of Yekel, had a dream, a very strange dream of a large treasure buried beneath a bridge in the far-off city of Prague. The next night, the same dream. The next night, the same dream. For two weeks, the same dream. This dream was so vivid, so lifelike, so real, that Isaac, son of Yekel, decided he needed to go to Prague and check it out. And so he traveled there. Took many days. Finally arrived at Prague. Found the bridge in his dream. Started digging around under the bridge, trying to find the treasure in his dream, when a policeman saw him. Asked what he was doing. Isaac, son of Yekko, was a very honest man, so he told the policeman about his dream. How he'd had this dream of this treasure buried under this bridge in Prague. The policeman laughed, mocked, told him what a fool he was. He said, don't you know that you can't believe dreams? Why, I myself, the policeman said, have had a dream the last two weeks that in faraway Krakow, in the home of a Jew named Isaac, son of Yentl, there is a great treasure buried beneath the stove in his kitchen. How foolish it would be for me to go all the way to Krakow to look for such a treasure. And with that, he gave him a kick in the seats and sent him on his way. So Isaac, son of Yentl, made his way back to Krakow and moved aside the stove and found the great treasure and lived to an old age as a rich man. What treasure is as close as your heart today? Let's pray. Take this moment, just you and Jesus, the one who was born at Christmas so he could be born again in you, the one who left his throne in glory to become a baby laid in a feed trough, to grow up, to be mocked and scourged and crucified so he could be resurrected. All of that for you. Where do you need to experience God's love today? Name that place. Now bring it to Christmas. Join the shepherds. Join those worshiping the Christ on your knees. Tell Jesus you love him. Just tell him that right now.
Tell them you love him. Ask him for that gift of love you need from his heart to yours. And thank him for the gift of Christmas. Holy Father, may we experience the true reason for the reason for the season. This day and each day to your glory. And may we give that gift to those who need it most in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.